Uh, great, to, great to have you here today. I want to, uh, this isn't really anything to do with the message, but I want to tell you about a conversation I had yesterday. Uh, I was talking uh, to my sister, Lisa. Uh, she lives in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, and uh, we were solidifying uh, some plans that we have to see each other in the spring and the summer, and I just kind of offhandedly said, are you guys uh, excited for spring? And uh, she said, oh, Steve, she said, I've lived up here for 15 years. And she said, I have never experienced a winter like this before. And I said, what do you mean? And as of uh, yesterday, they're at 220 inches of snow where she lives. And uh, she said, you know, I've never experienced this before. And this will tell you the mindset of somebody who's used to snow versus someone that's not. And she was telling me they have, a, uh, uh, um, they have uh, one of those trampolines that sits up off the ground and they have to take the trampoline, the, the trampoline part of it down every year because the weight of the snow stretches out the trampoline. And uh, so they've taken that off. But she said the frame is almost completely covered with the sitting snow just on the ground. And, she, and here's the difference. She said, I'm hoping for one, one more big snowfall so it can be completely covered and I can take a picture. I was like, that's not right, Lisa. That's, you know, you've got to figure that out, you know. And uh, she said, yeah, there were two weeks where they, the kids only went to school one time. And I said, I'm just telling you right now in Decatur, if we got 200 and, 220 inches of snow, we'd give up educating our children, all right? <laughs> our kids wouldn't be going to school at all, all right? So it's, you know, but anyway, I'm glad that you weathered it out. And uh, I've said to a couple people coming in, enjoy this. This is the last snow of the year. So I'm just telling you right now, all right? Last one of the year. All right, so, all right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you uh, for the day. And uh, Lord, we just, uh, I want to thank you for the text that we're going to study today. Um, it is a, a reminder to us as a people and as a church uh, that we need to strive for authenticity um, and uh, that you want us to have a, a genuinely good relationship with you. And if, if, it's, not, uh, if it's not there, that you want us to, to be genuine about that and be committed to working on it. So we thank you for Jesus who leads us to authenticity. It is in his name we pray. Amen. I want you to imagine uh, for a minute uh, that your spouse just goes all out for Valentine's Day. A couple weeks ago, had it, had it all out. I'm talking gets you flowers, candy, lines up a babysitter, go out for a wonderful three-course meal, and just your guy absolutely nails it out of the park. And you're sitting on the couch later that night and say, hey, you know, I appreciate it, but just out of curiosity, why did you go all out tonight? I mean, it was awesome, but, but why? And, and he said, well, I need to tell you something. I was fired at work today, and uh, again, and uh, I don't want you to be mad again, and so it, it's, that's why I went all out. Now, be honest, it changes the focus of the evening, doesn't it? Right? It changes the way you respond to, to him going all out because motivation matters. Imagine for a minute you come home from work and the kids, your kids have all their schoolwork done, their rooms are clean, uh, they've even gone out of their way to make you a great dinner and, and all of that, and you're sitting around the dinner table and you're like, man, kids, I really appreciate everything you did, but just out of curiosity, like, why? What, what, what caused you to do this? And he said, well, you know that vase that grandma left us? We were playing in the house and we smashed it, right? It changes the evening, doesn't it? because motivation matters. Or imagine your best friend asks you out to lunch to McDonald's and uh, he buys and he never buys, ever, ever, ever buys. And uh, you're kind of blown away and say, this is a really nice gesture, but why are you borrowing? Uh, why are you buying? And he says, well, 
I ruined the table saw that you let me borrow and I hope this $3.25 meal at McDonald's right, makes up for it. It changes the Big Mac in that moment, right? Because motivation matters. And this is the message Jesus wants to convey to us. So if you have your Bibles, uh, get them open to Matthew 6. Uh, Matthew 6, this is his point. We're going to actually study uh, 18 verses of scripture. And uh, we're going to see in these 18 verses, uh, three illustrations that Jesus uses that all teach and, and make the same point. And so, and what it's going to teach us is that motivation matters and motivation is important. See, when we tend to think about spirituality and our relationship with Jesus, we tend to think most about this is what I should be doing. I should be praying more, or I should be fasting more, or uh, I I should be fasting at all, if you're like me, or uh, I should be more generous, I should be attending church more. And I think those things are worth thinking through and worth considering. But Jesus, as we've been learning in the Sermon on the Mount all throughout it, Jesus is concerned about our hearts, and he's concerned about our motivation. So let me put this on the screen for you, this truth. Spirituality works best when we are doing the right things for the right reason. All right, spirituality works best when we are doing the right things for the right reason. So I want to start with a, 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 with a couple things real quick. This is not like another guilt trip thing, right? This is not a guilt trip thing that Jesus is about to, to lay into that because I know we all wish, every single person, me included, we all wish we were better about spiritual disciplines, Right? We all have that feeling of, man, I really should be praying more and, 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 and doing this stuff more. We all have that feeling. But remember, when it comes to these uh, things that Jesus is going to talk to us about giving and fasting and praying, this is not about being saved. You are not be saved by your work. You are saved by the work of Jesus. But because God loves us and because God cares about us, here's what he knows and, and what he's going to teach us. If we approach spiritual disciplines with the wrong motivation, it can do harm to us. And that's what he's concerned about. So this isn't like another guilt trip thing. That This isn't a guilt trip thing at all. This is about approaching spiritual disciplines with the right attitude and the right heart and the right mind because motivation matters. And if we get this wrong, it, it can have uh, some significant consequences. Now, I need to say something else before we get started. This is also not an argument against rote discipline. Right? There is this silly notion in our culture that, man, if it doesn't feel right, if it doesn't feel good, then I really don't, shouldn't engage in it if it's, not, if it's not right. And they are called spiritual disciplines for a reason, right? Um, sometimes we just need to have the internal strength to do what Jesus calls us to do. And sometimes for a season, it's going to work that way. I don't feel like going to church, but I'm going to go. I don't feel like praying in the morning or reading my Bible in the morning, but just for this season of life, it's just going to be a rote discipline thing, and there's nothing wrong with that. But for most of the seasons of our life, the truth that Jesus is going to teach us is that we want to do the right things, and we want to do them for the right reason. So here's the phrase we've been using all through the series. I want to remind you of it again. We are saved by grace. We are saved by the grace of our Lord Jesus, but God does care about your heart. And Jesus is going to move this lesson. He's been talking about anger and lust and keeping your promises and all this stuff. And now he's going to move this same lesson into the realm of spiritual disciplines and relationship with God. And like I said, there are three illustrations here. And we're going to walk through them uh, kind of one by one. uh, And we're going to learn that all of these really teach us the same lesson. So here's illustration number one. 
Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when, here's the first one, when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is, what is done in secret will reward you. Interesting question. Is it possible to give, to be generous with the wrong motivation? Right? Is it possible to engage in the discipline of giving and have the wrong motivation. And Jesus clearly says, yes. And, and the wrong motivation in this particular part of the text is giving in order to be honored. The word honor here is really interesting. It is a similar word that uh, describes how we are to interact with God. That we are to give glory to his name. We are to honor him. We are to worship him because he is God. Right? Because he is holy, because he is righteous, because he, he is perfect, we worship him. And so this is describing a person who chooses to give financially, who chooses to uh, look after people uh, because they have a desire to be worshipped. They have a desire to be honored. They want their generosity to be praised uh, by men. So let me show you this uh, quote from College Press Commentary. It says, a fundamental expression of Jewish piety involved a charitable and benevolent response to the poor and needy. In fact, in rabbinic Judaism, almsgiving was seen as more important than all the commandments, only being outranked by the meditation on the Torah. So Jesus kind of tongue-in-cheek here. He's describing a person that gives money, and as they're getting ready to give the money, they announce it with trumpets, right? Da-da-da-da! Yeah, the, the big, uh, a guy comes out with a trumpet playing, and uh, they, they, give their, they give their money in that way. And we all think, what a ridiculous practice. Having to have your generosity trumpeted, it's ridiculous. And that brings me to social media, right? That brings me to social media. Because I actually think that what Jesus is teaching here, tongue-in-cheek, has never been easier to do in, in the history of mankind. That we can go to the street corners of Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, and we can tell people how kind and considerate and generous we were. And you don't actually have to be on social media to accomplish the same thing. That it can happen in church, it can happen in a small group, it can happen at lunch. And the goal of the giving, the goal of the giver is to be honored and celebrated and praised. They want their gift to be seen. And on a practical sense, in a practical level, this doesn't make sense. Let me show you this text from Luke. It says, as Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she gave out of her poverty uh, um, out of her poverty and put in all she had to live on. Here's what I mean on a practical level. On a practical level, a single generous gift really does not tell the full story. So you could go out and you could see a person begging on the street corner uh, after church and you could buy them a meal at McDonald's. And that is a good thing to do, right? You could, you could do that, but then it turns out that you have a net worth of $10 million, right? 
It's not overly generous. Or, or you could give $1,000 to your church and it's 1% of your income. And to Jesus' point, another person could give $1,000 and it's 10% of their income. You get the point. One generous act doesn't exactly tell the story. So on a practical level, uh, just uh, alerting the world of your one generous act really doesn't tell much of the story. But Jesus isn't concerned about it on a practical level. He's concerned about it on a spiritual level. That this practice of self-celebration, of self-honoring, of self-praise is actually, according to Jesus, really, really dangerous. More on that in a minute. Illustration two. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive uh, other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your heavenly Father will not forgive your sins. So here's the question. Is it possible to pray to God with the wrong motivation? And Jesus says, yes. With giving, the motivation is to be honored. And Jesus says, when, when it's prayer, our motivation might be to be seen. It's kind of an interesting word. The wor- word carries with it. It's a really interesting word. It, it carries with it the idea of appearing to shine. So we have this ritual with our son, Sam, uh, that uh, when we put him to bed, we get him into bed all snuggled in and all that. And he's allowed to have a flashlight for a while uh, to read, uh, to just get ready to sleep. And then when it's bedtime, Cheryl and I will go in there and we'll usually turn the flashlight off. He's usually asleep. And uh, then we'll exit the room or whatever. But every once in a while, I've gone in there and he falls asleep with the flashlight on. And the flashlight is like buried in the covers or he's fallen asleep on it or something like that. And, and usually my reaction is, I can see that there's a light but I can't see where the source of light is coming from. It's buried in all these covers or whatever. And I'll tell you one thing that's for certain, I'm not waking him up to get the flashlight. And so usually, so usually what I'll say is, well, we'll replace the batteries tomorrow, right? And I leave the flashlight on and I walk out of the house. So here's, the, here's the, what that illustrates, that when you give your life to Jesus, you are given a light. And, and that light shines brightest when our relationship with Jesus is in a good place. That's when it shines the brightest. But sometimes, and it happens to everybody, when you're in a rough patch or you've been busy and the relationship isn't there, sometimes the light doesn't shine so brightly. And the thing is, when that light begins to dim, that should be a warning bell to us to address our relationship with Jesus. Jesus is describing someone whose light has dimmed and they haven't wanted to address that. They haven't wanted to admit that. So instead, they've settled on this. I'll just make it seem like my light is shining brightly. I'll make it appear that my light is shining brightly. And Jesus is teaching that one of the ways they do that is through public prayer. Uh, they babble. They use big words, flowery language. And the motivation for them is this. See, my light is shining See, my light is shining. My light is bright. My light is good. And they're using prayer to deceive people. 
So the question is, and it's obvious what the answer is, so don't feel like you have to answer it, but is it better to have a bright, shining light or to be perceived as having a bright, shining light, right? Obviously, it's better to have an authentic and real relationship. Now, can I, is this a safe place? Can I confess something? All right, that was underwhelming, but I'm gonna go with yes <laughs> because I wrote this like on Tuesday. So um, I wasn't planning on such an underwhelming response. But anyway, um, to this day, like I've kind of learned to do it and I'm comfortable with it, but to this day, I don't love praying out loud. It's kind of my job to do that. <laughs> But I don't love praying out, out loud, and it may sound weird to you, but prayer is such a personal thing for me, and I always want to fight against this idea that in my prayer, I need to sound impressive. Right? I remember being a kid, going to Christian camp, and we get into these prayer circles at camp. I've told you about this before, but uh, we'd be in these prayer circles, and I'd always be like four or five prayers in, and the prayer would be approaching me, and one person after another, I'm like, that was a fantastic prayer. They used great language, they sounded so smart. That was a fantastic prayer. And over time, as it started to go through one person or two, person, two, two people or three people, I would start to disengage from prayer, and I'd think, I need to sound good. I need to sound impressive. I need to sound spiritual. And I'd start like crafting my prayer. I'd stop listening altogether. And it's funny to think about. Um, but according to Jesus, that's actually kind of dangerous spiritually. That when you start to feel the need to sound spiritual and sound impressive with a public prayer, it's actually kind of a dangerous thing. More on that in a minute. Third illustration. When you fast... Uh, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your father who is unseen and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So question Jesus is asking, you probably know the answer by now, but is it possible to fast with the wrong motivation? Well, yes, it is, all right? And uh, Jesus is using the same word that he used in prayer here, that the, the goal and the motivation is to be seen. So they disfigure their faces. They make a big scene. They make sure it's obvious. And this is the refrain of all of these passages when it comes to giving and prayer and fasting. The, the desire of the prayer in this illustration or the faster in this illustration or the giver in this illustration is to be seen. To be seen as spiritual. To be seen as godly. To be seen as having it all together. And certainly, can we talk about this for a minute? We certainly live in a culture that desires to be seen. Right? Uh, I read a statistic this week that was just eye-popping to me that to this day, uh, three billion people are engaged in a social media platform. Every single second, uh, every single second that goes by of our life, 11 people are engaging with social media for the first time. In one recent study, 20% of people said, 20% said their chief goal in life is to be famous. The, the chief goal of their life is to be famous. And you think about all the, the uh, reality TV that we're all addicted to. What is the theme of reality TV? That somebody that's not famous, that's not known, they enter a, a talent contest or a cooking contest or a survival game, and all of a sudden they make it big, and now they are seen. Our culture loves this sort of thing. 
And it's easy for this desire to be seen, to find its way into our spirituality. We tend to focus more on what we are doing than we focus in on our hearts and our minds. We focus more on how we want others to perceive us. So we post a certain way. We dress a certain way. We present ourselves a certain way. Your family is fighting all the way to church. You get out, walk in. How are you today? Praise the Lord, the sun is shining. We are happy and great, right? And there are three big dangers, right? If you're wondering what is the big deal with this, what is the big danger of needing to be seen as holy and spiritual and having it all together? What is the danger? There's three of them. Number one danger, pride. Uh, that we would begin to believe our own press and we would become very prideful over our spirituality. You know what the Bible says about this? We tend to think about, uh, we tend to classify sin and pride never exactly makes the list as truly dangerous sins. But the Bible actually says that God opposes the proud and he gives grace to the humble. In other words, pride is oppositional to what God wants to do in us and through us. So think about this. One of the core tenets of Christianity is that I would recognize my sin. All right, that is a core tenet of Christianity. Pride keeps me from doing that. Another core tenet of Christianity is that I would rely on God. I would rely on Jesus for my strength. Pride keeps me from doing that as well. Another core tenet is that I would serve and love others. Pride keeps me from that. Pride is a very dangerous sin. All right, so that's danger number one, and one is pride. Danger number two is hypocrisy. Right? The Greek word here describes an actor or, an, or, or someone who is acting. By definition, it describes someone who puts on a front, but behind the scenes and in their heart, there are some things that are going on that are not very good. And so uh, one of the dangers of hypocrisy is that we begin to focus on the outside and not the inside. Let me show you what Jesus said uh, about this. And, and I've joked around about, uh, with this about you before, but this is a really interesting sermon. The title of this sermon was directed at the Pharisees and teachers of law, the title of this sermon is Woe to You, right? And Jesus walks through a series of woes. So it's like, all right, today, you know, I'm preaching on woe to you. Point number one, woe to you for this reason. Point, you know, it's this, Jesus comes down on this issue. Here's what he says. Woe to you, teachers of law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, Right? And then he uses giving as an example. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin. They, they, they were so committed to tithing that they would go to their spice drawer, right? And they would tithe out of that. But you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out the gnat, but swallow the camel. Point number two, woe to you, you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, Right? You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside uh, also will be clean. Point number three, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Right? You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. See, you are saved by grace, but Jesus cares about your heart. And what the act does what hypocrisy does is it encourages us to focus on the outside of the cup and not pay any attention to the inside. 
And God cares about what's going on the inside because he loves you. And, and he knows that you can keep up the act for a while. You can, we all can. You can keep up the act for a while, but eventually, and sooner than we think, we are going to make decisions based on the condition of our heart, and that is going to lead us to some bad places. All right, so Jesus is concerned about what's going on in the inside of the cup. Danger number three, self-deception. Right? It's one thing to know you are acting, it is another thing to begin to buy into the act yourself. All right, very similar to what we talked about before. But the idea of you become self-deceived. Let me show you a text on this. A lot of scripture in today's sermon, but that's good, right? Um, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable, all right? So, confident of their own righteousness, looking down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, even this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all that I get, right? This is the purpose of social media. Is that we, it, one of the purposes is that uh, it develops in us this attitude. Oh, thank God I don't, I'm not like that. Thank God I'm not like them. Uh, this is the way we respond a lot of times to, uh, uh, to, to um, uh, news stories. Oh, thank God that I'm not like the Democrats or thank God that I'm not like the Republicans or whatever your kind of thing is. There is this desire in our culture to be more righteous than, the, than, than our neighbor, all right? And so he says, all right, thank God that I'm not like them. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So the Pharisee fails to see his own sin. He fails to see his own shortcomings. He fails to see his own issues. And that is a major issue. Because one of the major tenets of Christianity is when it comes to sin is that we would adopt a me too mindset. When you hear someone talk about, man, I am a sinner saved by grace, our first attitude should not be, thank God that I'm not like you. Our first attitude ought to be me too. I am a sinner saved by grace. And so this is a core part of Christianity is seeing our sin, asking for grace, empowered by the Holy Spirit to overcome. But it starts with seeing our sin and acknowledging it. So the question Jesus raises here is a simple one. Who exactly are you trying to please? All right? If the answer is the, the people around you, you're trying to seem impressive to them, and good to them, I'd caution you away from that. That is a game that brings about uh, spiritual disease. If it's God, uh, here's Jesus's advice. Now, I didn't work as hard on any part of this message as I did the line you are about to hear, right? Uh, because I think, I think it's important that we get this right. And uh, so I wanna, I wanna show this to you and then we're gonna talk it out a little bit, all right? Keep the things between you and God private that need to be kept private. All right, and, and that's an important distinction. 
So Jesus is not teaching here, just keep everything between you and God totally private. That is not what's being taught here. What he's teaching is keep the things private that need to be kept private. The Bible is not opposed to doing some things publicly, praying, giving, fasting. We have examples where Jesus does that very thing, where he prays publicly or uh, he, he gives publicly. We see those examples with Jesus. So the Bible's not opposed to that. The Bible is opposed to doing things publicly when you struggle with the issue of being seen or putting on a show, right? When you, when, when you struggle with the issue of being celebrated. Now, this is going to require a great deal of self-awareness, right? And, and a great deal of self-evaluation. Am I a person that needs to be celebrated, Am I a person that needs to be seen? Am I a person that struggles with putting on a show, the out, focusing on the outside of the cup when the inside of the cup is really has some dirt inside of it? Am I a person that struggles with this issue? And if you struggle with that, then here's Jesus's advice. When you give, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. If you struggle with the idea of, man, I I need this stuff to be seen, I need to be celebrated, then give in private. When you pray, go into the closet and close the door, right? Private. When you fast, don't make it a show. Actually, keep yourself watched and don't let people know that if you struggle with this issue. So we know that at times Jesus prayed publicly. We know that he certainly gave publicly. The cross is one of the best examples of that, that God so loved the world that he gave. And so we know this isn't opposed to all public demonstrations and declarations of righteousness. A lot of times Jesus did this stuff publicly in order to teach. But if you struggle with acting, uh, if you struggle with being seen and putting on a show and being celebrated, then Jesus' words are important for us to hear. That man, when I give, I just need to make sure that's uber private. When I pray, maybe I need to take a break from praying publicly. When I fast, maybe I I shouldn't make that a show and do that in private. That here's the next truth. So we do everything we can to keep our heart free of putting on an act. That this is too important. The act takes over so quickly And all of a sudden, we have this thing growing inside of us, and it's not getting addressed because we're so focused on the public image. So we do what is right for our heart. And like I said, this is going to require some self-evaluation. It's going to require us to think through that it's easy in this day and age to be like, man, to do exactly what Jesus described. Thank God I'm not the person Steve's describing, right? You know, I do everything with perfectly pure motives, right? Jesus cautions us away from that. And so I want to introduce you to a word that uh, from my first day here, uh, I so want this word to describe our church. And uh, I think we're getting there and I think we're growing in this. Um, uh, But here's the word, authenticity. Is that I would love for us to be described as a church where it is okay to not be okay, it's okay to come in here and be real, Uh, but it's not okay to stay not okay. That we understand the Holy Spirit wants to invade our lives. He wants to help us grow. He wants to help us overcome sin. But I I am so drawn to this word of authenticity, that when you come in here and, and it's not okay, you don't have to say, everything's great, praise the Lord, right? It's okay to come in here and be like, I'm beaten, I'm bloodied, I'm bruised, I'm hurting. Right? It's okay to, to struggle in here with sin. 
It's okay to struggle in life because we understand that with authenticity, all right, authenticity brings about community and community brings about victory. I really believe that, that when you can't come in here and everything's hidden and we put on an act and we put on a show that nobody ever really knows what, what's going on with you and so there cannot be people to come alongside of you and gather around you and encourage you and pray for you and help you. But authenticity, when you're real, that brings about community, right? Where the people that love you and care about you, they can come around and say, man, I am praying for you. I'm gonna check in on you this week. I'm gonna help you. And this is one of the things that Jesus came to bring. He came to bring us his Holy Spirit to empower us and help us from the inside out. But make no mistake about it, Jesus also came to bring us the church, right? He came to bring us a community, to love us and encourage us and give us God's word and remind us that God's not done yet and he hasn't given up on us, that whatever it is that you need to hear, Jesus brings that community alongside of us. But the only way the church gets there, the only way the church gets there is with the word authenticity. I've been to so many churches and I've been a part of a few where, man, Uh, putting on the show, seeming more righteous, seeming more holy is just the way the church operates. Nobody feels free to struggle. Nobody feels free to share. Nobody feels free, free to be real because everybody's like super Christian with their capes on. And the truth of Christianity is there's only one cape and Jesus already is wearing it. So take your cape off. It's okay to be real. It's okay to struggle. It's okay to be authentic. I want to have a no-judgment-free zone where, man, if you're struggling and you need some prayer, we're not going to stand back there and say, well, thankfully for me, I just washed my cape and I've got it on today, right? Well, we're not going to be that way. We're going to embrace and encourage and help. It only happens with authenticity. That's what I want for this church. You have no idea how much I want this for this church, that we would be a capeless church who worships the one caped crusader, Jesus. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, help us to be real and uh, help us to be authentic. And uh, Lord, if we struggle with this, uh, maybe for us we need to take a break from public prayer. Maybe we need to take a break from social media. Maybe we need to take a break from declaring acts of righteousness um, to the world um, if we struggle with this because realness is so important to you. And acknowledgement of sin is so important to you. Help us, help us to let go of our capes. You're the only one that wears a cape in Christianity. And we want to worship you. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. We're about to celebrate that moment together where Jesus came uh, to earth and he was wearing that cape, right? He came uh, as a hero and he went to the cross and he died for our sin so that we could be forgiven and um, that we could receive grace. And one of the things that grace allows for uh, is authenticity because we're all sinners, we're all broken, we're all not okay and Jesus shows us grace and he helps us overcome and that's an amazing truth. And so this is a a moment for you to minister to you. Uh, that we're going to receive two cups stacked on top of each other. One has some bread representing Jesus' body on the cross. The other has some juice representing his blood on the cross. That he came to die for me. He also came to die 
for us, right? And when that happens, when we understand that, it gives us the ability to stop hiding and stop pretending and stop acting like everything's okay and just come to Jesus who wears the soul cape. And so we're going to do that right now. You can hold on to those cups. Just spend a little bit of time with Jesus, thanking him for what he accomplished, thanking him for what he did. If you want to just kind of, in, in your mind, if you just want to drop your cape, you're like, I've been pretending to be the super Christian, and that's really not what's going on. I struggle. I'm real. If you want to just drop that kind of while you're praying, you can, you can kind of do that in your mind's eye. Like, I'm done with this. Jesus has the cape. I worship him. I don't need to be worshiped. I worship Jesus. Um, and so you can do that. And then I'll come back up here in a couple minutes after everyone's served and we'll receive communion together. I haven't said this in a while, but I want to remind you about why we do that. One of the reasons we receive it together is we believe the church is a gift. And so Jesus comes, he gives us the Holy Spirit and he gives us his church. And the church is supposed to be a place, not where I judge you, but a place where I encourage you and I help you and I pray for you and you do the same for me. And that's what we have here. So we, we like to receive it together. And I'll come back up after everyone has served uh, to receive it together.